Good morning. We're here to celebrate the birth, birth of the King, of the great I Am. So we just saw Kristen sign and Nick play. Rejoice, rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. It's time to celebrate the King is here. The King has come. What are some things you look for at Christmas time? Trees, okay. Look for trees. What are things traditionally you just you can't wait to look for and find? Eggnog. Eggnog. <laughs> nice. Lasagna. Okay, great. <laughs> I'm coming to your house. <laughs> what was that? Christmas carols. Lights. Absolutely. What was that? Presents, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. These are things we look forward to, things we look for. I can remember on the lights one, already seeing um, some of your Facebook messages and different people saying, hey, I saw the first Christmas lights of the year, and that was like back in September. And, and <laughs> we, we look for things, and isn't it amazing how the things we look for are often the things we see? You know, when you buy something and you think you've gotten a good deal, what do you see the whole next week? Better deals, sales, because, because you're looking for it, because you're in tune with it. This morning, we come to the Christmas story, and it can be a familiar story, and I want to challenge us and walk us through this morning looking for something different. See, we could come to the Christmas story and look for all the same things, and, and especially when we come to the nativity. How many of you have nativity sets in your home? Anyone have more than one? Yeah, we have like five or six. It's great. And we put nativity sets up, and sometimes even that can become routine, can become ordinary. And this morning I want to focus on the manger itself, and the manger with the baby Jesus in it. And we have a choice, how do we view that manger? How, what are we looking for? What are we going to see this Christmas, the whole season? We can come to that manger and see this cute little baby. And he probably was a cute little baby. And we can, we can just see how wonderful it is and, and precious He is. And all that's true. And, and we can easily focus on His humanity. And that this is God in the flesh, which is absolutely true. But as we've been discussing and, and teaching through who God is and the attributes of God, this morning I'd like us to see more when we look at a manger. When we look at baby Jesus in a manger, I'd like us to see that this isn't just a human baby. This is God Almighty. God Almighty in that manger. The great I Am who intentionally and purposefully came. We sang that He came. We we saw a video that said He came. But He intentionally and purposely came to start the greatest rescue operation ever seen on earth. And this wasn't just a baby. This was God Almighty. God Almighty showed up. He showed up and altered Satan's attempt to enslave the world. Altered Satan's attempt to to deceive mankind. And God showed up. In John 1.1 we read, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God Himself 
came as that child. Colossians 2.9, in talking about Jesus and the birth of Jesus and who He is, says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The whole fullness, everything that is God, dwelt in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so as we look at the Christmas story, as we look at at God and, and, and through Jesus Christ humbling Himself and being found in form of a servant, being found in fashion of man, we see signs all over the place of who He is, of His attributes. As we read through Matthew 1 and 2, and as we read through Luke 1 and 2, we see God's fingerprints all over the story. The fingerprints of who He is, His greatness, His goodness, and His different attributes. And this morning, we want to look at just a few. Three attributes of His greatness, three attributes of His goodness. Sometimes pairs of attributes. But reminding ourselves that every time we see a manger, we are looking at God Almighty in the form of a child. And God showed up. I think it's especially pertinent to, to, to talk about this with the events of the week. When so many people are wondering, why didn't God show up? Will God show up? How does God show up with the events in Connecticut? And the manger gives us answers for that. The incarnation. It's not about the the manger itself, but the incarnation that God came and became man to rescue man. To rescue man from the clutches of Satan. So we begin in the the, the next few minutes to look at the attributes of His greatness. Things that remind us that this is God Almighty in a manger and, and not just this helpless little infant, which He is as man, but He's still God Almighty. And the first attribute we see is God's power and His sovereignty. God's power and His sovereignty are everywhere in the Christmas story. We're to trust Him. I need a few kids to help me out with something. Couple, a few kids. Just come on up. Three or four of you. Come on up. Okay, three or four are already standing, so those that are standing, come up. There, there's more opportunities. You don't all have to get in now. Okay? Okay, five or six. <laughs> you guys have all seen mangers, right? And you know Jesus came in a manger? Did you know Jesus was God? And He is God? And God Almighty? So we're going to build a manger this morning. We're going to build it out of some attributes. I need you to find me a piece of wood that says omnipotence and sovereignty. Nothing like starting with some some small words. <laughs> omnipotence and sovereignty. Okay, there we go. This one. Hold this one. And, okay, let's... Let, oh, yeah, that one's a different word, huh? Another nice big word. Okay, now I'm going to need a few of you to help me out, okay? So someone hold this right here. Okay, Mark, you have the one we're going to use. Okay, Linda, do you want to hold this up over here? Okay. So we have omnipotence and sovereignty as a reminder that in this manger was the great I Am. We're going to put this together. Hopefully. Omnipotence is a big word, isn't it? Do you know what it means? It means 
God has all power. God can do anything. Anything. Isn't that cool? Have you thought about that? God can do anything. And sovereignty means He can do anything He wants. He reigns over all. He's King. Do you believe God can do anything? Yeah. What miracles do you see in the Christmas story? Do you see any miracles? What? His birthday. You know what? The miracle that He came to earth to be born. And God turned into a baby. That's right. The angels, they showed up. That's a mirror. That's not something we see every day, is it? That shows God's power. Anything else? What's in the sky really bright that helped the, the magi? The star, yeah. Miracles from God. God is all-powerful, isn't He? And we see that in the manger. We see that in the incarnation. You guys can sit down. Now you can go impress your friends that you know what omnipotence means. God's power and sovereignty, His omnipotence are everywhere in the Christmas story. Thank you, kids, for helping me out. See, God is able to do whatever He wants. As we look at Matthew 1.18, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Matthew 1.18. We'll be, be switching between the Matthew account and the Luke account and some of what John says. And looking at how the attributes of God are revealed through the birth of Christ. But in one, Matthew 1.18, it starts with, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And he's telling us what actually happened. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. First verse, telling the story. We come to see God's greatness, His power in the virgin birth. That God, through the Holy Spirit, came upon Mary and God Almighty was conceived in her womb. A clear evidence, a powerful testimony to the power of God. And as we read on, we start to see God's sovereignty, His power in action expressed. In verse 19, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And as Joseph is dealing with my wife's pregnant or or my, my fiance is pregnant, I don't know how this happened. God again sovereignly steps into the plan and says, this is the plan. This is what I intended all along. Don't worry. Take her as, as your wife. And we see God working out through history, through events, His plan. Jumping to verse 22, we see the same thing as, as Matthew reminds us that God is working His plan that He's had for 700 years in this passage, but we know from all eternity. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Which means God with us. And so the incarnation right from the start, the virgin birth should remind us of the power of God. Every time we see a manger, a nativity, 
we should remind ourselves God Almighty is working His plan. God Almighty is at work. In the Luke passage, we see the same thing. In Luke one twenty six, the story starts, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And the, the words was sent is significant because of what, it, what it means is the birth of Christ was not an accident. It was God's sovereign plan that nothing could thwart. Nothing could stop. And we see that in Luke 1, jumping down to verse 35. As the angel is talking to Mary, telling her what's going to happen, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And we see that it's through God's power that Jesus is conceived. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. That's the story of His omnipotence, of His power, of His sovereignty as He is executing His plan in all things. And in verse 38, Mary responds with a simple phrase. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant. Let your plan happen to me. I will accept it. I will go with it. I will embrace it. God Almighty showed up. Even in attempts of Satan to stop the plan, God Almighty executed His plan. You're, you're, you have Matthew open. Turn over the next page to Matthew chapter 2. And we see God's power and His sovereignty come together as He makes sure that His ways happen. In verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way. The Magi have come. They've talked to Herod. Herod's tried to get some information out of them about where the, where the Christ child is. Found out Bethlehem. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And so in the, in the scene of what is happening, we have God and His plan sovereignly and powerfully bringing Jesus Christ into the, into the world. In the next scene, we see Satan trying to kill the child. We see Satan through Herod trying to stop God's plan, which is sort of ridiculous, isn't it? Can we ever stop God's plan? No, because He is omnipotent. And he's sovereign. But Herod is there and he's stopping it. And so God steps in and he talks to the wise men because God's plan will happen. God steps in and he talks to Mary and Joseph and the the child Jesus is protected because God's plan will happen. But it didn't stop there. Verses 16-19, through which is just an, an eerie passage to read this week. 
Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. And I love just adding on the beginning of verse 19 to that. But when Herod died... See, Herod's attempt here is to destroy the child. And and this is Satan's attempt to stop the plan once and for all. And as we hear this story, our hearts grieve because we're like, how can this happen? And we're reminded that because of sin, because of Satan's work in this world, evil things happen. And horrible things happen. And we've been reminded of that this week. This wasn't the work of God. This is the work of Satan to deceive, to tear people apart, to tear people down. God's work started here. God's answer and God's rescue and God's solution to a world racked with pain, racked with anger, racked with distress. And so even though man and Satan attempt their very best to stop God's plan, God is sovereign. He is powerful. And His plan continues. I think about that as I know many in our congregation have gone through so much this year. We've seen deaths of loved ones. We've seen some dreams shattered, some financial situations. We've seen people dealing with cancer and dealing with physical ailments. And I can't think of a more important message at Christmas time to remind ourselves that the incarnation shows that God is sovereign, He is powerful, and His plan has not stopped. Even though a fallen world has all the hurts and grief that comes with it, His plan is still active, and we can trust Him. You can trust Him. Come to Him because He came to us. I pray that our response to His omnipotence is Mary's. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to Your Word. I need a few more kids to come up and join me. Along with God's omnipotence, with His power... We see God's presence. Okay, one more? Someone? I need two of you. Okay, it's you and me, bud. <laughs> okay. God's, omnip- or God's presence is shown through the incarnation. God shows His presence through the birth of His Son, and we can know Him. He is near and knowable, imminent and knowable. And the word imminence simply means God is near. We're going to put it on in a minute, so stay up here. So it's a reminder that even though God is almighty, He isn't a distant God. We can think of Him as a God that's far away. And the incarnation in the manger shows that God is with us. That God desires to be known. And so that's part of what we're to remember when we see the manger. Got that in place? 
In Matthew 1, 22 and 23, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. It means relationship. It means part of our lives. There's a difference, isn't there, between people we see only on Sundays and people that we see every day. Do you know your family a little bit better or a roommate or people you live with? Do you know them better than someone you see every, every once a week, every Sunday? Absolutely. And when we hear the word Emmanuel, God with us, we, it brings to mind John 1.14 that says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or lived with us, tabernacled among us. He became part of our lives. Part of our lives. If you've ever been on the, the church camping trip and in tents next to another family, you sort of hear everything. Sort of know everything that's going on, right? Any arguments, any discussion. Well, God tinted with us. He came to be with us. To restore relationship. To show that God is a near God. A God that desires to be known instead of a God that is far away. One author said he clothed himself with our lowliness in order to invest in us his grandeur. And God throughout all of the Bible has sought relationship with his people. And ultimately, that comes with the person of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus, we can know God. He is with us. He is here. And again, our response to His work, His powerful work to come in the flesh, our response is to respond. And so the question that that leaves us is, how am I seeking God? How do I know God? He did all the work. He made it possible for me to understand who the Almighty is. So am I responding to Him? Am I in relationship with Him? God is with us. God is still with us. And the Incarnation reminds us that He is knowable and near. One more attribute of the greatness of God that will cover and that's incomprehensibility. We cannot understand fully God. I need one more volunteer. Child, come on up. Here we go. So we see the attribute of His incomprehensibility. Do you think you can know everything there is to know about God? Thanks. <laughs> awesome. We're having some fun. Can you guys know everything about God? No, no. God is... <laughs> God is greater than anything we can know, isn't He? God, God knows so much more than you and I. And so he's, we call that His incomprehensibility. So we're going to put that there. You guys want to line that up? And you want to line that up on that side? We'll try not to smush your fingers. We'll put that in place. <laughs> okay, watch your fingers. Thanks. And do you see that there? Incomprehensibility. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. The manger reminds us that God is beyond our tiny understanding. It's beyond our tiny understanding and that should fill us with awe. 
Not, not fear, not distance, but awe, because he is incomprehensible. I can't understand why he would even come. Why would God, who doesn't need anything, who is self-sufficient, why would he even come to save sinners who are in rebellion actively against him? Why come? To, it's as, as bizarre to me as saying, thinking that he came for that gunman. And he came even while that person is in sin, while you and I are in sin, to offer salvation. And it's incomprehensible. God's Word says, yeah, there, you might die for a good man, but who would die for an evil man? And that's what Jesus did. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And He came. But also with incomprehensibility is just the whole aspect that God came in the flesh. And if you can explain that fully, go for it. Because it's incomprehensible. It's something that we can't completely understand. It would be like us taking it, trying to explain how we can take a blanket and stuff it in an aspirin bottle. Because the finite is being, being put into the, the infinite is being put into the finite. And God Almighty was here. But I praise God that we can't understand the process. I praise God that I can't fully understand that. Because if God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped, one author wrote. If God were small enough to be understood, He would not be big enough to be worshipped. And we have a God who is immense and incomprehensible and that we can worship. And so we see phrases like Mary pondering these things in her heart and treasuring these things in her heart because she can't, she's trying to get her head around this. And our answer isn't that we'll ever understand, but our answer is awe. Is awe. So every time you see a manger this year, think, I don't understand how God could come in the flesh, how Jesus could be fully God, but I know He was. And be in awe and worship Him. You know, some things you might do as a family is as you go out and look at some amazing things, you look at Christmas lights, as you look at trees, some of those things you look for, bring your family back to awe. Say, you know, as amazing as these lights are, it's not nearly as amazing that God came to earth. That God came to earth as a child, as a baby. And begin to instill in your families the sense of awe that God Almighty is in the manger. And the birth of Christ also shows us some things about how God deals with us. How God treats us. His attributes of God's goodness are on display right here. And I need a couple more kids to come up. We're going to do all the three of these together because they're really a package. So this is your last chance. Oh my. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have said it that way. <laughs> what happened to the shy ones? <laughs> okay, I need someone to find me love. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, God's love on display in the manger and how He responds to us. How He brought salvation to us. We'll talk about these in a minute, but let's put this one in. I need you to pull this out a little bit. Can you pull that out a little bit? Pull that out a little bit. Pull that out. Okay. Maybe not out so much. Come in just a little bit. There we go. Just a little bit. Okay, we're working on it. 
hold these. You never know with these kind of things. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Okay, <laughs> let me have my hammer. Okay, someone find me God's justice over there. You guys know what God's love is, right? Do you guys know what His justice is? God's justice means that He will always do what is right and reward people according to what is right or wrong. That means his, we are judged according to His standard because He is right. So if we do wrong things, there's, there's discipline for that, isn't there? And if we do right things, there's rewards for that. That's what justice is. He deals with us in accordance to those things. So let's put this in. There we go. Okay, and the last one over there, someone want to read that? What, what does that one say? God's mercy. God's grace and His mercy. That God gives us what we don't deserve and doesn't give us what we do deserve. What do we deserve if we, if we um, sin against God? That's bad, that's right. And, and we deserve God's punishment. But, you know, through the manger, through what Jesus did, coming to save our sins, to die on the cross for our sins in our place, He gives us grace. He gives us a way to have relationship with Him. So let's put this in. Okay, you guys can sit down. Good job, guys. I don't know if you can see those, but His love, His justice, and His grace. I wanted to put those on together because they really form a package that we can't understand one without the other. First point in your notes, or the fourth point in your notes on on God's goodness on display is that God's provision of Himself as the Savior proclaims God's deep love for you. Respond to that love. God's provision of Himself as the Savior proclaims God's deep love for you. A love, like we said, while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion against God. And throughout the text, throughout the story, you'll hear phrases like, she will bear a son and you will call His name Jesus. He will save His people from their sins. In Luke 2, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And God comes to bring salvation to pay for our sins because He loves us. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. In 1 John 4.9, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. This is how we see God's love, it says that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And so every time we see a manger, it's a reminder that God loves us in an incredible way that He would send His Son to die on the cross for us. And He loves us in that way so that we will respond, so that we will believe in Jesus Christ. 
And we can, we can become sons and daughters of the King when we believe and enter into that relationship in a whole different kind of love. But the second point goes with it, and we mentioned God's justice and righteousness. Because as we see the manger, it should also remind us that a price had to be paid. As we talked about last week, sin cannot go unpunished. Sin cannot go undealt with. If God doesn't deal with sin, He is not righteous and He is not God. And so God's righteousness and justice must deal with sin. A payment had to be be made. And that's why in the Matthew one twenty one passage, it says He will save His people from their sins. And it's referring to the penalty of sin. And it's referring to His payment for that penalty. But the beauty of the manger, the incarnation, the cross, is that God provided what He demanded. And for us, His justice is something that should make us fear and quake in our boots and tremble. Because we've all been in rebellion against God. But because of the incarnation, because of His love, He has provided the means because God Almighty came in the flesh and came to die on the cross. And so in the Christmas story, it shows us that God is love, but it also shows us that God is just. Because there would be no need for Him to come unless that righteousness needed to be satisfied. And so number, two, number five there, is God's provision of Himself as the Savior satisfies His righteousness and justice. Jesus satisfies that for us so you and I don't have to hang on that cross. You and I don't have to spend eternity in hell apart from God. But that you and I can be in relationship with God because He resolves both His love and justice here and at the cross through His life. Finally, the last attribute there is His mercy. And God's provision of Himself as the Savior proclaims the depth of His grace. Proclaims the depth of His grace. And our response to the depth of His grace can only be worship. It can only be to be incredibly thankful. To have gratitude oozing out of our pores because it's not something that we could earn. Grace is unmerited favor. It's what He has given us on His own through His work, not through anything we deserved. Turn over to John 1, 14. John 1, 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after Me ranks before Me, because He was before Me. For from His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ." 
And so we see the word grace used there over and over and over in reference to the incarnation, to, to God Almighty being in this manger. Because God is Almighty, because He has no need of anything, He is self-sufficient, there was no requirement for Him to come. There was no necessity in His justice, and this is how these go together, in His justice, we earned death. We earned punishment. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we earn punishment, and because of His grace, because of His love, He provided a solution in Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that every time we see a nativity, every time we see a manger, not only do we realize this is God Almighty in the manger, but we think about what He's done. And we think about what we've done. Because until we realize the depth of our offense, we can't realize the depth of His grace and the depth of His love. If we have offended an infinite God and His justice is, is demanding a response to that unrighteousness, then we begin to be in awe and joy and praise and worship Him because of His grace who gave us His Son. And so to put it simply, the Incarnation reminds us that we have sinned. And that sin if God is righteous and He is, requires a punishment. But because of God's love and grace, He provided His Son who came in that manger and who died on the cross to stand in our place on the cross and take that punishment for us. And at that moment, God's justice was satisfied because someone else took the punishment you and I deserved. And at that moment, His love was proven Because He, without needing to, sent His Son to stand in our place. To die in our place. This morning, the message of Christmas for those of you that have never believed in Jesus Christ is that you need a Savior. You need a Savior. Because without believing in Christ, without coming to Him and giving our lives to Him and trusting Him and repenting of our sins, Without that, we still are destined for death. That all the celebration, what happened at Christmas time, what happened at Easter on the cross, reminds us that there's an answer. God loves you so much. He extends grace to you if you're willing to respond. If you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, I urge you that this morning, that this morning, you see more than just a celebration and a nativity that kids can play with and you can knock off the mantle, but that you see that it represents God Almighty in human form come to rescue us from our sins. Trust Him with your life. Believe in Him. If that's where you're at this morning, I urge you to come talk to me or one of the pastors or one of the elders.
And let's celebrate Christmas like you've never celebrated it before. For those of you that know Christ as your Savior, it's a reminder of His love, of His justice, of His grace, of His sovereignty over any situation that you can face, of His imminence, that He is near, that He wants to be in relationship with you, God with us, and of awe, His incomprehensibility. What will you see when you look at all the Christmas trappings this year? What will you see? What are you looking for? Look for the hand of God, the fingerprint of God. Look for His hope, His gift. Lord God, we praise You, we worship You because You have come. In the fullness of deity, You have come to bring salvation, to bring love, to bring grace, to bring redemption. Lord, we worship You. I pray that we would go through this Christmas season and we would see Your fingerprint every time we see a manger, every time we see a nativity, that we would be in awe of Your greatness, of Your sovereignty, of Your power, that You, in Your divine wisdom, executed the perfect plan to bring Your Son for salvation. Lord, may we be in awe of You this morning. Thank You for the gift of Your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.